What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Self Helpless. I'm Kelsey Cook. I'm Delaney Fisher. And today we are covering a topic that was a helpster's choice topic. It's matrescence. And we have an incredible guest on to talk about it. We have on Dr. Sarah Oreck. Uh, she is an MD. She's a Columbia University trained psychiatrist focusing on women's mental wellness and has specialized training in reproductive psychiatry. She runs a private practice where she combines the most up-to-date medical treatments with talk therapy, meditation, and a whole body complementary approach. She is just the best person to come on and talk about this. And we had such a great conversation with her all about the process of matrescence, which Delaney and I, full disclosure, we did not know uh, no. until we did this episode today, what that term meant. And it's, you know, similar to adolescence is kind of how she describes it. It's the process of becoming a mother and the changes that people go through with that mentally, physically, emotionally. So she got into so many helpful tips, not just with mothers and, you know, parents in general, I think including fathers struggling with that. But we talked about decisions to not have kids and and just getting support in general, whether you want to have kids or not. And yeah, and it's one of my favorite episodes in a while. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground, just like what can happen in the female body during pregnancy and childbirth and afterward. We talked about fertility stuff. We talked about people who regret having kids. We covered a lot of ground. And Dr. Sarah also shared some really exciting news with us that a platform of hers just got funded called uh, Mavita Health, I believe it's called. And it's going to be something that provides resources to people from like conception 
transition to postpartum and um, might have uh, the availability to like apply insurance to it. So definitely go and go into Dr. Sarah's space and, and stay, you know, up to date on any announcements about that, because that might be a really great new resource for people. We hope that you guys find it as helpful as we did. And this is coming out on April 24th, which means I'm going to be in Denver this weekend. I'm so excited. I will be back at Comedy Works, which is one of my favorite comedy clubs in the entire country. It's where I shot my special. And uh, then after that, I'm going to be in Uncasville in Salt Lake City in May. In June, I'll be in Las Vegas, Burbank, uh, July, I'll be in Phoenix. And there are so many other tour dates coming up. So you can go to KelseyCook.com and get tickets. And please go watch my special, The Hustler, on YouTube. Yes, I love it. Um, quickly before I plug my stuff is, um, this episode was voted on by our Patreon community. So submitted by you voted on by you. So if you want to vote on topics or submit topics that get covered on the podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash self helpless. And I also have another podcast called the minimalist business podcast that you can get for free at delaneyfisher.com. We talk about building a, your dream business, your dream career, you know, living intentionally, all that good stuff. So if you are a creative, um, if you are a mental health or wellness professional, um, feel free to, to come on over. It's a private show, but it's completely free and you can find it on my website. Yay. All right. We hope you guys enjoy this interview with Dr. Sarah Oreck, and we will talk to you after the interview. Dr. Sarah, thank you so much for being here today for this extremely important topic. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, shall we kick it off with your favorite or least favorite quote? Because our listeners love that stuff. Sure. I'm, <laughs> like, I, I didn't know least favorite was an option. I think that that list would be very long. So I'm going to start with one that I actually love, um, which is by Daniel Siegel. Um, he's also a psychiatrist and someone who does a lot of work around parenting. Um, and the quote is empathy is not a luxury for human beings. It's a necessity. We survive not because we have claws and not because we have big fangs. We strive because we can communicate and collaborate. Wow. That's very I nice. That. Yeah. That's a good one. Because I really think what starts to come up is sort of the importance around empathy, collaboration when it comes to becoming a parent and becoming a mother. And so often, um, you know, I think women especially are um, taught to be competitive and um, you know, one up one another. And I think in fact, collaboration and that village is really what gets us to a better spot when it comes to this transition to motherhood, which I think is what we're going to be talking about today. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, Delaney and I personally are not mothers, but we have lots of close friends that are mothers and we're watching them go through that transition. And I follow a lot of people in the um, YouTube space that have become mothers and they've been very, um, very open about mentally and emotionally what that process has been. And I would love to just learn so much more about it from you because I think it's really fascinating. Yeah. W would you mind starting off with just what is matrescence? I didn't even know there was yeah. a, a formal word for it. Yeah, I, I know. Heard that Isn't word that either. fascinating? Yes. Yeah. I'm really excited that it's catching on. So it was actually something that, um, an anthropologist came up with in the 70s um, and has really, I think, come into its own now. But really, matrescence is this transformation to motherhood. And we like to think about it very similarly to adolescence. 
And actually that's how you know how to pronounce it. You can use, you know, it's matrescence like adolescence. Mm, Um, And really, I think as a culture, we, we kind of acknowledge being an adolescent is really hard, right? There's physical changes, there's emotional changes. So much of you transforms during that time. And this is really to say, well, a similar thing actually happens during matrescence. Um, for people, right? There's the huge bodily changes, there's hormonal impacts, but there's also this sort of psychological world that changes. And so really trying to think about the similarities in these two um, kind of life stages, uh, not to mention people with female reproductive hormones and women go through yet another transformation in perimenopause. Um, Maybe that's for another time. Uh, (laughs) But matrescence is really exciting because I think people have acknowledged, well, of course I have body changes. I've grown a baby, but I think what we don't acknowledge or what we're starting to acknowledge is that there's changes in our brain. There's changes in the way that we see the world and how we are in the world. Um, and that's what's really exciting. It also actually relates to this empathy uh, quotation by Daniel Siegel, because in some ways our brains change during pregnancy, but also for those non-birthing parents, they change. it changes as well when we have a new baby. And really in order to grow empathy, to be able to uh, understand the non-verbal cues our babies may give us. Um, so there's so much there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that talked about a lot too, just the component of that you never are not worried about your child after you had, like, there's always, doesn't matter how old they get. I feel yes. like a lot of mothers talk about always being concerned about how their child is, no matter what age they are. And I, I can't imagine how hard that is. Yeah. And actually that has to do with changes that happen during pregnancy and the postpartum where we believe, especially for those who carry the baby, that there's an enlargening of the amygdala, which we kind of like to think about as the alarm system in our brain, very connected to trauma and all of that. Um, But that's how we have um, moms that like wake up or sort of think they hear their baby crying, even if they don't, the phantom cries that happen in the shower, because the brain is so sort of attuned to like, is baby crying? right? I got to be ready for them. And where, you know, maybe in your twenties or before you had children, you wouldn't wake up if you heard anything at night. Now your brain is sort of almost hypervigilant in the way that, you know, sometimes trauma impacts people to sort of be, be on high alert. And so certainly people describe, um, you know, having this baby feels like you're thinking about, right. You're thinking about yourself now, but your brain is almost divided with, you know, your child or your children, um, to also think about them, uh, which, you know, that's gets complicated. And then people ask, well, what's mommy brain and why do I sometimes forget like some details that maybe don't even matter the name of that actor in that movie or the name of the restaurant. And it's because your brain is really making space for other activities, including this growth of empathy or this amygdala change. Um, so that's really exciting that we're starting to learn about those changes that happen and they happen to fathers, they happen to people that adopt children. Um, so it's more universal than we actually initially thought. Oh, wow. I always thought mom brain was just like intense sleep deprivation. So I just <laughs> that, that, too, <laughs> that too, that too, that <laughs> too. 
Um, I mean, good point, right? <laughs> intense sleep deprivation makes us all loopy um, and right. forgetful, but right. uh, but certainly the other there's other biological changes that also contribute to this mommy brain phenomenon. Fascinating. I am very shocked. A lot of my close friends have become um, parents the last couple of years. I'm so shocked by how wildly different all of their pregnancy stories, birthing stories months or years after having the child are the the craziest details that I didn't even know could happen to a female's body. What are the things that people come to you with the most often that say like, I didn't even know this could happen to my body or to me? Um, could you just give us some, I don't know, some nuggets of all those things that people can be mindful of? Yeah, I think there's um, a lot of fantasy around what it's like to carry, uh, you know, or to have the perfect pregnancy and then to have that perfect delivery and what that would be like. And you have the doula and, you know, these little electronic candles because you're not allowed to have real candles in most sort of hospital or, or oh, birthing right, centers. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, the the soft lighting and the music. And, and I think people imagine that it's going to be hard, but I think often what what they don't plan on is for uh, complications. And what I often see is people who had maybe some rigid ideas of what they wanted for delivery really struggle when they have an emergency C-section or a significant, um, you know, maybe a preterm labor, like really complicated stuff that ends up being very different from what they had imagined. And I think it's that distance that really causes what we call postpartum PTSD or some significant symptoms. And you can imagine, right, when you have that experience where sometimes people don't even feel like they have autonomy over their body, then they go on to postpartum where someone is maybe dependent on them, an infant's dependent on them for feeding. Um, it can be really disorienting. And so what I try to sort of come back to is that I don't, we don't need to be pessimistic about your outcome or what kind of birth you are, but let's be a little bit more realistic about the range and variety of experiences people have. Right. Yeah. That has to be so hard to navigate because I feel like a lot of parents try to not go down the Google rabbit hole once they have a kid. Uh, one of the people I follow on YouTube, her name is Raw Beauty Christie, and she's become very, uh, very open in her motherhood journey. And she has said that for her, it's been so hard the second she feels that there's something wrong with her child to not Google and make sure it's okay. And I would imagine that leading up to giving oh, yeah. birth, you are trying to avoid like, finding out worst case scenarios. It just, I know, yeah, I know. that's gotta be hard. And it, and it's this, it's a, it's a, a weird balance, right. Between being open to the possibility that everything is going to be great, yeah. but not sort of attached to only that outcome. And people can have safe, you know, emergency cesarean sections, but yeah. it's the attachment to like, well, then I'm not a good enough mother or I went, it was the easy way out or I didn't experience a vaginal delivery. So I'm not, you know, X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Um, but certainly I think it's, it's sort of the double-edged sword, right? It's so exciting to have so much information at our fingertips, but I think with people who have just even a little bit of an anxiety or baseline of anxiety, 
it can really like turn up the volume in terms of worries and concerns and conjectures. And yeah. so it's a, it's a fine balance of like, if you can edit what you see um, and not sort of go down the rabbit hole of diagnoses, but it, it's a really hard balance. And I think that's where it's important to check in with yourself and your support systems to see if they're, if the worries are kind of getting um, a little, uh, overwhelming or a little bit out of out of your control right where it's like can you can you distract yourself and move on to a different topic or are you not working all day because you're just googling all these terrible things that can happen right yes so with online communities like uh facebook group um i regret having children or the reddit forum like regretful parents that have like hundreds of thousands right like what do you tell somebody who comes to you and they really regret having a kid and they're yeah. really conflicted with that? Yeah, it's like on one hand, I'm kind of excited that these communities exist because and only because I think they're tapping into the ambivalence that many of us feel and most people feel. I think what becomes confusing is sort of this black and white yeah. Right. They're, yeah. They 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 they're um regretting children but they have them. Right. Right? And so mm-hmm. and I don't think these people are planning on on adopt like you know giving these children up for adoption or anything like that. So I think what it's tapping into which is exciting is like no, we all have ambivalence around it. Like right. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I know sometimes I'm like, wait, my weekends are taking care of toddlers. I don't get to like sleep in anymore. I don't get to do anything else. Like, sure, there are moments where like, gee, it'd be really nice if I could just like hop on a plane and go anywhere in the world. But like, that's not something I can do at this point in my life. Um, And so I certainly think what's exciting about that is that it's tapping into and also giving permission to people to say, right? I have ambivalence around this, or there are parts of my like past life that I really miss, right? That spontaneity, that sort of possibility of like, you could do anything this week uh, Mm -hmm. from anywhere, right? Maybe gone. Um, But I think, you know, I think I've heard some criticism around these communities. And I think it's important to think about that, again, it's okay to have shared ambivalence. And I don't think it's black and white. I don't think there's a group of people that love having children and then a group of people that that um, sort of uh, don't want their children or feel like they um, made a mistake or an error or regret it. Yeah. The regret I, is more nuanced, right? 
Even the name is a little confusing. I found them incredibly helpful when I was making my decision about whether to have kids or not, just because I was able to read personal stories from people who sounded like me, like my personality or my lifestyle that I enjoy. And I found them immensely helpful. So I think it takes a lot of courage for people to admit that they're struggling with that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's also a bias because again, you know, they have children. And so that is, is something to think about. It's also interesting to, to, to actually talk to people who've made the decision to not be parents and then what it's like when they're like older or what their lives were like. And yeah. certainly in this economy, right, a double income with no kids is is a, is a, is a nice lifestyle for sure. Yeah, Kelsey and I are both jinxed. If you have a partner, yeah. yeah, good for you. I was one for a while, and it was really nice. <laughs> it's not a bad life for sure. Yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. That those groups are so helpful, and it's almost like the way that they're—I don't know if I want to say branded, but that the term of regret can come off so negative and black and white. I think of it more as like a collective mourning of your previous life, like you were saying. Yes, and making it okay. Yeah, like it's, of course it's okay to to mourn a, a life that you used to have and also to celebrate the great things of this new life. But I mean, that's, I, I just think that's so healthy and normal. And yet there's some stigma around parents that you're supposed to not feel that way or that yes. you're like a yeah. cold parent or an unloving parent if you feel that way. And I think you're right that that black and white thinking is, is not helpful for it. But um, how do you feel like breastfeeding and the debates around that is one of the biggest things that you deal with in your work of women feeling guilty if they are not breastfeeding or pressure to breastfeed for a certain amount of time. Uh, that just seems like something that I've heard talked about a lot. Oh, on the YouTube for sure. So yeah, let's go to that. But I actually want to mention that I'm also really excited about the discourse of making the decision of whether to have kids or not. I think people assume because I'm in this space, I, you know, I'm all things mothers trying to conceive postpartum that, you know, I might be a natural, uh, oh yeah, I wanted to be a mother since the day I was born, but that wasn't actually the case for me personally. And, And I'm really excited by people who are making these very conscious decisions about not having kids and also really want to validate that because I think often people assume it's a default choice or it's because of some infertility issue or a struggle. Um, and it's really exciting to hear more of this as a choice, similarly of like having one child versus several children or that, you know, the two children that, that everyone expects, uh, you know, American families to have. And so I'm really excited about all of that discourse. And I think that's to say, I'm hopeful about the discourse around breastfeeding and how we can also have autonomy over how we feed our children. Um, But certainly I think the pendulum has swung in the direction of an obsession with breastfeeding. Um, This is for a variety of different reasons, but what it often does is put an immense amount of pressure on families um, when it might not be possible, right? You might be on a medication that's contraindicated, or you might just not produce that much breast milk than than what your baby needs. Um, And so I'm really excited about the discourse around feeding and whether it's just, you know, for some people who've had, for example, sexual trauma, 
breastfeeding is, doesn't feel great. It might be triggering, right? There might be something there. There's also yeah. something called dysphoric milk ejection reflex, which is a really interesting phenomenon called DEMER, you know, dysphoric milk ejection reflex. And it actually is an experience that people have that when they, when the letdown of the milk happens, they get really dysphoric or depressed for the moment. And it can be really jarring. Whoa. So they like might not have any breastfeeding. Yes. In the, no, when they're, moment? when they're starting breastfeeding. So when that breast milk is coming down or even sometimes when baby is latched, it can be a really disoriented, Whoa. scary, right. Intrusive thoughts, thoughts that they've never had before. Um, oh and God. so I think it's important to highlight that everyone's experience is different for some. It's like, Oh, it's the most beautiful bonding they've ever had with their child. That's great but it's not the case for everyone else. And so I think, again, giving back the autonomy to parents about how, what they do with their body and how they do it, I think is really important. Obviously, breastfeeding confers a lot of benefits um, in terms of immunity and all these other things. But I think um, in the end, we want um, a parents and children that are healthy and fed and it's not worth sort of some of the agony that I see some of my patients go through um, or on-demand breastfeeding where you have to wake up every two hours. Like for someone who has any anxiety or mood issue, like that is a quick way to kind of accelerate that. Um, and right. so certainly I, I'm hopeful that things get better around this discourse. Now, formula shortages don't help. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> sort of like the worst thing that could ever happen. Oh it's gosh, like these yeah. patients are like, I just weaned and then I'm on, and now all of the formula in the country is out of stock. Right. Um, or insanely expensive if you can't exactly. find it. Right, right, right. Or you're right. European uh, formulas are, are very expensive and inaccessible to most. And so, you know, it's all these dynamics that when we like actually step back, it's, you know, we live in a country that isn't so kind to parents. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, Samantha Ravendahl is another YouTuber I follow, and she had done a video about how disappointed she's been in the healthcare system in terms of checking on her mental health. She felt like all of the checkups she was having were all just focused on like, how's the baby doing? Yes. And even her conversations in regular life with uh, maybe friends or yes. just people were like, how's the baby? How's the baby? And nobody was being like, how are you doing? How are you yes. feeling? And oh, I'm this is, so glad you bring that up. Yeah, she, I mean, please go follow Samantha Ravendahl on YouTube. She is so right. amazing. Um, but yeah, she, she just was like, I, as a human being, just went through one of the most traumatic things I will ever go through. Yeah. I'm going through a lot. And there's just so much emphasis on only how is the baby doing? Yeah, it's the phenomenon of like, you know, pregnancy is actually the time where women and a birthing person could have has the most amount of medical care they ever receive in their life, right? O outside of right. people who have obviously chronic illness or anything like that. But this is the most they interact with the health system. And you're absolutely right. Sometimes people only get one postpartum visit. We call it like the phenomenon of being like wow. the princess when you're pregnant. It's like, oh, are you okay? Let's do, let's see, let's see you every other week, all this stuff. And then, yeah. you know, once you're done, you're sort of discarded and you're like, wait, where's the baby? Right. You're like, okay, yeah. good luck to you. How's the baby? I even feel wow. that um, in the hospital, like, uh, you know, I, in nurseries, you know, how in movies you're like, oh, all the babies are in a nursery. Well, that yeah. really ended with COVID-19. Um, yeah. They didn't want all 
all the babies together. And so I don't know if nurseries are coming back, uh, but what you would find is that um, dorming with parents when after birth now is really popular. And a lot of parents want to have the baby close by. But what that ends up doing is that you can imagine someone who's labored for 24 hours or something ridiculous, then had a C-section. Let's say it's a really complicated birth, then is literally thrown into a room and told, take care of your baby 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. So it starts real soon. The minute yes. that baby is out, it's like, it's your responsibility. And then I remember I had my kids during, during COVID. And I remember oh. being told, oh, and you can't fall asleep. Don't you fall asleep with the baby on the breast? Because, you know, you can roll on the baby. And I was like, whoa, like I just had a surgery and this is how mm. I'm being treated yeah. um, with like, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I'm a physician, right? So really high, uh, sort of health literacy, but I can imagine how difficult that could be for someone else if it was really hard for me. Um, and even, you know, even around pain medication. So I didn't want opioids, for example, and I just wanted Tylenol and, and Motrin. And I think I asked for Motrin a little bit early and it was like, it's too early for that. And I'm like, but but I was just cut open and I'm not getting opioids. Um, So this really weird dynamic of, of kind of feeling abandoned, I think from very early after giving birth, unfortunately, there's some really great, I think, education. I think if you have a doula, there can be more realistic education, one-on-one education around what the birth process is going to be like. So certainly an open mind to anything can happen. Right. Mm -hmm. An open mind to, yes, you are right. This is a huge experience, but to sort of like, um, and and I think it's a really great parallel for what life is really that we're not in control. Yeah. And to sort of be able to have those trusted people around us, right. If it's our partner, if it's our doula to help advocate for us, if we're not um, able to, Uh, but, or a trusted physician or midwife, right. That is the first step. Like I always tell people, I know it's really hard to find doctors, but if you get weird vibes from the beginning, from the person who's taking care of you during pregnancy, you're not feeling like they're hearing you. You're not feeling like you're able to communicate well, Uh, try to find someone else if you can, who can really make you feel a bit better about what's going to happen. And of course, I want to say that's not a choice, unfortunately, that that many people have. Um, But if you do have it to really choose the right people to have around you, but to also, so, so I think the right people is sort of the first step. Mm. And then the next step is to sort of, um, think about, I can do what I can. I can do my breath work. If that's something that you're interested in, you can do some hypnobirthing if that's something you're interested in. And I really love these mindfulness approaches because I think they can be really helpful, um, especially in calming our nervous system down because it can be, you know, labor, labor and delivery can be a very scary process. Um, but ultimately to, to kind of lean into, I don't have control over this and this might look different than I imagined it. Yeah. That's great. That's a great advice. Just kind of managing your expectations about the entire thing. Do you ever recommend certain exercises to your clients who like need to mourn or grieve their old life? Like we were talking about, or the life that they might not have because they now have kids or there are things that they can do to take time. Yeah. 
I think um, that can look in all sorts of different ways. I'm a huge proponent of therapy for everyone, but you know that I'm, I'm also biased. Um, so I think that can come out in therapy. Um, but if it's not, if therapy isn't accessible to you, I think journaling can be fantastic. And I think there can also be a time to kind of get glimpses of what it's like to be spontaneous. So go out with your girlfriends, kind of like try to do little things where it feels like, oh, this is kind of, this is part of who I am or who I was. You know, those parts of us aren't completely lost. We're still there. Um, But I think it's about trying to have circumstances where we get to to sort of feel that. In terms of like self-care, I think self-care has become like more of a chore. Um, So I think we like redefining self-care is important and it can look in all sorts of ways, but it doesn't have to be like an expensive spa trip or getting your nails done. Right. It can just be if you're if you're losing your temper, if you're not sort of showing up in the way that you want to show up, do you have supports around you that can say, "Okay, I, I got you. I got the baby you go have a timeout, you do what you need to do to kind of recharge. Um, And so a lot of what we're talking about is actually, can you build community around you that can really support you through this journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're big fans on the show of self-care being also in those bite-sized steps. I agree that it can sometimes be almost more stressful to figure out how to take care of yourself. Like, oh, I need 20 minutes to meditate. I'm like, okay, that's going to be, that's going to be hard. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I talk about the book The Artist's Way all the time on the show. It's my favorite book. And one of the exercises she talks about are finding the small things to treat yourself. And that for one of her clients, the author of the book, um, she talked about that her client loved buying things of raspberries at the store, like fresh raspberries. But that there would be times where she wouldn't let herself because she'd be like, oh, it's it's like a little expensive. When in reality, it's truly like five six dollars but sometimes we get into that mindset where we're almost being mean to ourselves or like depriving ourselves yeah it's that deprivation and that and that i think that's coming up a lot also because right the economy is sort of tanking um inflation makes things really high and i think that deprivation mode kicks in for a lot of people yeah yeah okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So... If you're just noticing, maybe there are those small things that you're not letting yourself have, but they actually do make an impact on your happiness. Just trying to let yourself do those small things because I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I am so thrilled that you, this is kind of going back to earlier, but when you're talking about that, you actually are happy to hear about that sort of discourse around deciding not to have kids because even this is something that I've 
a decision I've come to recently in life in the past year ish. And I am a little self-conscious sometimes even coming into this episode, I felt a little, there's almost like a shame around it, Mm -hmm. especially with this topic and talking to you. I almost felt like, Oh, am I going to be looked at like one of those people who is cold for not wanting kids? Yes, yes, yes. And I struggled with this a lot because I actually did this before having kids. Uh And I think people were like, oh, you must have kids or you must be really interested in having kids. And I was like, I'm actually not sure about that. But that doesn't mean that I can't help you or can't empathize about what your situation is. So I've totally felt that both personally and professionally, which is interesting. But I do think that we need to have more of that sort of being proud or being or feeling confident in that decision that we're making and that it's not a moral failing or anything else that we simply just don't necessarily want to have this particular experience. We mm-hmm. And I want to be clear, even though we're highlighting matrescence as this point of huge transformation, we transform throughout our entire lives, right? Yeah. There is points of growth for us in our entire lives. And so I don't think, um, you know, and I think I don't think motherhood has to be a part of that for everyone. And we certainly should start to unlink right? Womanhood with motherhood. Such a powerful thing to say, because that's been something that I've felt kind of emotional about even in the past couple months as it's come up for me, like, God, I feel like I'm not like by the end of my life, I worry that I will look back and not feel like I lived out being a woman to the fullest or that I'm not a real woman because I didn't have not only the motherhood experience, but I think that physical experience of giving birth is Mm -hmm such a uh, like a point of pride and rightfully so Mm -hmm. I look at my friends who have given birth and I'm like Jesus Christ you're like a superhero to me yes 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 and so I think by choosing not to there there is shame around it it's such Mm a it's just a whole new world uh, mentally I've stepped into lately where it's like oh wow yeah but I'm so excited about talking about that and I think um, being able to express that that shame and kind of understanding where is that coming from and I actually think it's probably right these cultural factors or this narrative that we're so used to hearing but I think it's important right even as someone with children or without children to be able to kind of say no actually this is important conversation to have and again I think there are so many other aspects of being a woman that we also have to talk about that and and figure that out because I also think that that gets people who do have children especially in heterosexual couples in really uh difficult positions where the woman is sort of burdened with a lot of that invisible labor um and there's a real struggle there, right? So many mothers have left the workforce because of right, everything that's happened with childcare and COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important for us to kind of talk about the other side and the other options and making that a valid choice for other people. And again, not this default or like, oh, I don't really want to talk about this or there's some shame around it. Um, so I'm so excited to hear this and would love to talk more about that. Yeah, I Thank second. <laughs> so I know I second all that. I've literally been told to my face that there might be something wrong with me or defective mm-hmm. about me because I don't want kids and that I should get my hormones checked because it's not normal, you know? And so it's like, you think, wow, maybe is there something wrong? Is everybody feeling like they want kids and there's something wrong with me? But I just never had that yearning or desire and mm-hmm. coming to terms with that was very freeing. And I just yes. think it's such a strange thing in our society that 
you know, I'll get questions of like, why don't you want kids or you're going to regret that or what, you know, why, 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 but you can't ask somebody, well, why did you have kids? Why, why did you have kids? Why do you have them? What was, what were your reasons? That's kind of seen as like, "Mm, that's offensive, (laughs) but it's not like offensive to ask somebody what, what's, what's the deal with not having kids? What do you think that you can say about that? Well, the the first thing is like, you know, I think we have to teach certain people, especially of a certain generation boundaries. <laughs> right. Um, right. We, we, right, right. I, I'm, I'm thinking I, I know the, you know, the, the type of age range that's making those uh, assumptions not to be ageist. Right. Um, but, but I do think that there is, um, well, first of all, like, I think we all need to work on boundaries and what we ask people and don't ask people and what yeah. feels right, respectful and, and, and so something that's honestly quite private unless you're you want to start talking about it like we are in this situation but i think in a similar way like i think it's time that we acknowledge having children leads to ambivalence right these regret facebook groups um also not having children may lead to a similar ambivalence right right these are and that's okay but I think we yeah. have to start to really, and especially, I think there's shaming on both ends of mothers to people who aren't don't aren't mothers, and also vice versa. And I think it's time that we kind of talk about, well, how do we accept, right? Just like you know, we decided to stay in Los Angeles, right, versus moving right. to a more reasonable cost of living uh, city. <laughs> And yet, like I, I have ambivalence around that, and and yeah. that's and I'm I'm staying here, but I have ambivalence around it. And and similarly, I am totally, um, you know, agree with Kelsey's decision. I don't know the reasons you you moved to Minnesota, but like there's a lot of great things about living there and doing yeah. that. And so, in the same way of like we all make different sorts of choices, and it's important to respect them. And yes, have curiosity around them, but but I think. Um, yeah, I think we have to show more humility about like, I don't, nothing's wrong with you. You don't need your hormones tested. But instead just being curious of like, oh, well, tell me about that decision. I'm so used to people like just always wanting children. Like, tell me about why that's right for you or what you're thinking about that. Um, but, I, you know, I, and in, in some ways, I think this is also gendered. I don't think men who make mm-hmm. this similar decision are asked those questions. Amen. Yeah. Amen to yeah. That. Completely agree. Yes. Yeah. I I feel like as I was getting close to that decision, I, for a really long time, kept thinking there was going to be some aha moment of that black and white feeling like we've been talking about with so many different aspects of this, but I thought it was going to be like, I'd wake up and just know that I 100%, all of the things were on the pro column or the con column, I guess, of having kids and i realized at one point that it's just at least for me that's never how i'm gonna feel i'm never gonna feel like 100 percent. most people this... don't yes exactly yeah. and that's what even I if think... they right even if they be if even if they're pregnant even during their pregnancies they're like oh, i'm not sure yeah <laughs> even right. once they have kids yeah and i think yes. like you said you were talking about the ambivalence of people who choose not to have kids and i think that's something i will have for the rest of my life But I know for me that the reasons I didn't want kids outweighed the reasons to have them. And I think people who are struggling to make that decision, I I don't know if other people feel that way, but at least I did. I had that idea in my head that you had to be 100% one way or another. And I wish more people talked about that. I don't think it's that common to feel 100% about either decision. 
Yeah, I think I think normalizing that is so important and starting to like discuss that a little bit more. But I also mm-hmm. think, you know, something that's that's really important to consider is that we can be we can have that maternal spirit or or sort of experience these things in all sorts of facets of life. We can be maternal in different ways without actually ever having to be a mother. That's like one point. And also, you know, you know, I'm not saying we give birth to inanimate objects, but like we can, <laughs> we can right create things. We can. Um, I love my phone I, I, a lot. I, I will I, say I, the relationship I, often, I have with my phone. Is I birthed very my deep. puppy. I birthed both my dogs. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But like, I think about artists and like creating something new or doing something like in that. Like, we do generate sort of new things or give birth to things. Writing, yeah. um, different creative endeavors, work. Um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, being a physician for me, and maybe that's where my ambivalence was, where it's sort of like, oh, I was like, I'm satisfied with being maternal. I mean, like I do that every day with patients in some ways. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm supportive of them. I have a holding space for them. And I think in some ways that might have been where I'm like, I don't, that, that, that itch seems scratched, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I think yeah. you can get that experience through all sorts of different different sort of experiences in life of, of mothering. And so I also think that's an important point to, to kind of point out. I yeah. love that. I mean, it's funny for my job to be like, I gave birth to these dick jokes, but I do. <laughs> but you, know but you funny do, you, like, but you create. Yeah, there. but you're yeah. right. There's something that's so fulfilling for me about my job and that you do have that freedom and you are creating something that is yours. It's I have never thought of it as a maternal thing, but you're right. I think there must be some aspect of it there. And and you do stand up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Like that is delivering so much of yourself. That's vulnerability, right? Yeah. Those are in some ways a parallel experience to, to, to kind of the birthing experience, right? I can't <laughs> imagine creating the stuff and then presenting it to people on a, on a stage. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting life to live, but I I really do love it so much. Yes. Um, Um, I have a fertility question. I'm wondering if you could shed light on. So I've read a lot of articles about the, the age 35 and how that is leads back to like a stat from the 1700s in France or something regarding like church birth records and all this stuff. So people who like didn't have modern healthcare, nutrition, electricity, were still referencing this very outdated thing. But then there was like a 2004 study that came out that said 82% of women ages 35 to 39 get pregnant within a year. Do you have any, like any stats on like, what, what are we looking at at 2023 regarding like fertility myths and debunking those? Well, a, a really sad statistic that I came across recently, and I, I, I'm, I think this is right, but it, it's like less than 4% of research is dedicated to women's health. Yeah. Oh, God, so, that feels about right. so, that under, so, so now I understand why we have to sort of go back in time so far to find any statistic to fit. Um, but, but surely there is a lot around like age 35 or 36 and how fertility rapidly declines. I think it's a, sort of this double edge. There is some reality to like, right, the the egg quality that that you have at those ages is very different from when you were 20. Fair, 
Um, but I yeah. think the the last stat that you quoted that most people are able to conceive spontaneously during those years, it just takes a little bit longer. I think the problem is that we're so used to thinking like, oh, you know, if you blink, you'll get pregnant and not truly understanding how it works and that it actually right. you can only get pregnant certain days of the month when you ovulate. Um, I'm, I was trying to think back if I really understood that, like before I went to medical school, and I'm actually not sure. I think yeah. I thought you could get pregnant, you know, all the time. Um, and so I think there's a little bit of like myths around that. And then I think it's simply like we we think, oh, I was so good at not getting pregnant. How come I can't just get pregnant like that? And I often see, right, the, these millennial moms being like, no, but I'm ready now. So like it needs to happen in one to two months. But the stat that you just quoted of like it might happen in a year uh, for most people that age is is really important. Um I, again, I do think that there's realities to the aging issue and with egg quality, unfortunately, that's also true for men and an aging sperm. Um, and now we're having a decline in quality of sperm and all sorts of issues, which we think might be from environmental toxins, but also an increase used in, in cannabis. Um, so it's important to also think about actually male infertility is quite a big problem, um, but it's often landing on the women, right, as, as, as their problem or their issue. So I think that's another thing to note. So you know, my, my thoughts are if it's something that you're considering and you don't have a partner by like your mid thirties, if egg freezing is at all something that is accessible to you, some insurance does cover it, right? There's some great places that are trying to make this more um, economical, then that's something to consider as sort of an insurance policy. But, you know, IVF is also complicated and comes with a lot of baggage. Right. Good point with all that. That's yeah. 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 Do you have any uh, parting advice for, for women, for um, couples who are going through matrescence? I I know that it's, it seems like it's quite a long process, but maybe couples who have recently given birth, anything that could help them. Yeah. I mean, I think to reflect back on what it was like to be an adolescent, it felt uncomfortable. You might not feel totally like yourself, but you will get back to like a homeostasis. You'll get back Mm -hmm. to a new version of yourself. It might not be exactly who you were before having children, but it's sort of um, a growth process. And I think once you're on the other side of it and listen, it never, it it continues. We continue to grow as human beings, regardless of whether we have children or not. Um, But I think it's, it comes with a lot of bumps and challenges, but there's also great joy in those moments. And so I think the thing to take away from is if they're feeling like those moments of joy and happiness are few and far between, and there's more sort of low mood, or high anxiety, it might be important to talk to a professional and really try to sort out what's happening. I also think, you know, if you're sort of feeling like that, we're like, where's the joy in all of this, then it's a it's a good time to start looking around thinking about your community and whether you need a little bit more support. Amazing. Oh, yes. Thank you. And Gosh, you've been such a great guest. Yes, this has been. Oh, oh my god, I'm so excited. Can we, can we do another one on, <laughs> yes. on choosing yes, we'll not to be a parent? Oh my god, so we could talk about that for a long time. Yeah, we would love to have you back on, yes. Julie. Uh, Doctor Sarah, where can people find you, your work, all that good stuff? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Sarah Oric MD, and from there, there's other places to go fabulous thank you so so much for taking the time to educate us this is so fun
what an episode learned a lot yeah I really do want to have her back on yes I'd be so curious how much of our listeners how many of our listeners yeah don't want to have kids we should um poll I mean even I know Instagram is not a super accurate um depiction of all of our subscribers but we could always do a poll on Instagram just to see yeah I don't know it's percentage wise yeah I I would just be curious but anyway it's it's so nice to have somebody like her on to talk about all sides of it even though she is a parent it was just nice that there was no judgment from her yeah, absolutely. And based on what you just said, Kels, um, there was a study that I read recently that said 30% of people are in the United States, I believe, are sharing that they do not want children, which we can always say that that's usually an underestimate because so many people either undecided or they don't feel comfortable right. sharing that information. So maybe, I don't right. know, it's an accurate kind of thing too. Um right. We do have an iTunes review of the episode. This is from Claire with no E. And it says, truly, thank you. So glad I found this podcast. I literally searched comedy self-help on the podcast (laughs) app and decided to try you guys out. Finally, I found my binge-worthy podcast hosted by funny, wise, talented women. While depression constantly discourages me from making positive changes in my life, this podcast in my ear every day inspires me to start somewhere. Just listening to an episode makes me feel like I've done something constructive. I'm playing around with feng shui light right now. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to many more episodes. Oh, Oh, Thank you. That was so nice. Thank you. And I hope that your feng shui journey uh, is going well. I also, I feel like my feng shui has become pretty light too. <laughs> yes. And sending you so much love. Um, navigating depression is a challenge. And like, thank you for tuning in and, and taking the time to write that to us. That like, yeah, means so much that it's helping you in some way. Yeah. No kidding. Yes. Kels, any um, segments? You know, I've just been, I've been living my best life lately, to be honest. That's good. You know, outside of, outside of the mom stuff, I feel like right now it's just, I'm like, I'm so excited with how my special has been going and I've been excited about doing my new material on the road and just been really loving living with my boyfriend and just watching good TV shows and cooking meals and getting take. I don't know. I just, I don't really have a specific update other than I'm just happy right now. Things so. are feeling good. Hey, that's a good hey. update. That's yeah. A good shit. <laughs> um, I just have a quick one. I have a hot wreck uh, for my segment. You mentioned TV shows. I've been really loving um, sex education. Have you watched it? No, but I've oh, heard good so things. Good. It's fucking great. I mean, it's got everything. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It's there. There's important conversations happening. It's fucking great. Highly recommend. I think it's on Netflix. I'm so bad. I always ask him like, what show, what streamer was that show I was watching? Yeah. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. And I think there's two or three seasons. Anyway, I've been loving it. So recommend if you, yeah, you want something heartwarming and a good laugh and just also inspiring. Amazing. Well, yeah, I should check it out. Uh, I've got a whole list of shows for me that I got to check out. Yes. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay, guys. Well, I can't wait to see you helpsters in Denver this weekend. Truly one of my favorite cities ever to perform in. And uh, get those tickets at KelseyCook.com. DelaneyFisher.com for the Minimalist Business Podcast. We'll talk about creative projects and building a business and all that good stuff. We'd love to have you. Yay. Okay, guys. Happy Monday. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Self Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend or feel free to post it on Instagram and tag at selfhelplesspodcast so we can repost you and say thank you. Yeah.